Welcome to PCOM Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Feldstein, and my guest today is PCOM alumnus, Dr. A. Scott McNeil. Dr. McNeil graduated from the Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine program here at PCOM in 1988, currently serves as president and CEO of Delaware Valley Community Health, a private nonprofit healthcare organization that provides quality medical, dental, and behavioral health services to patients regardless of their ability to pay. According to a 2018 report by the Department of Public Health of the City of Philadelphia, 12% of adult Philadelphians are uninsured, with that rate increasing to 40% in some neighborhoods. For over 50 years, Delaware Valley Community Health has worked to minimize the financial barriers to health that often turn patients away from seeking care. Since joining Delaware Valley Community Health in 1993, Dr. McNeil has served in a series of leadership roles, and under his leadership, the organization has expanded health services through new locations, increased staffing, and medical and administrative innovation. Welcome, Dr. McNeil. Dr. Felsian, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And from this point forward, I will call you Scott, and you will call me Jay. Sounds good, Jay. Thank you. All right. So Scott, I got, I got a couple questions for you. So first, can you describe your role at Delaware Valley Community Health and what are some of your goals in this role? Yeah, thanks. Um, currently, I'm the, I am the, the, the president and chief executive officer. Uh, I've been the CEO for the last three years now. As, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, prior to that, for the uh, previous 25 years, uh, I was the vice president and chief medical officer uh, here at Delaware Valley Community Health or DVCH. So as, as CEO, um, what we continue to try to do is just making sure that we have a, a really firm base to continue to grow our operations. Uh, you mentioned the growth of this organization. When I started, we had, I don't know, probably around 70 employees, only two locations, an operating budget of about 10 million. So now you fast forward those 28 years, I have 330 employees. Uh, we have nine locations, an operating budget of 52 million. So there's been a lot of growth over that time, and we want to continue to make sure that our infrastructure is strong so we can continue to expand and, and serve uh, basically our mission, which is really reaching out to those impoverished, um, poorly served, uh, marginalized communities. In your time as a physician, how have you seen the landscape of healthcare change in the Philadelphia area? Well, it's a good question. And you know, you've seen a lot of things change for the good, uh, but unfortunately, uh, there are still a lot of pockets of, of, of poverty and still a lot of pockets of, of folks that are not getting a level of service that they deserve. So I think some of the good is, is you know, most of healthcare, including my organization, has moved more to a, a patient-centric model. Uh, we are really uh, embracing this, this kind of more quality-based reimbursement, um, so or value-based, as some, some will call it as well. So I think these are good changes that, that allow more revenue to be pumped into primary care for which we can turn it back into to, to needed services. I, I think the difficulty though, is that primary care continues to be poorly reimbursed in general, and you still see uh, a lot of private practitioners out there struggling, uh, trying to keep up with the demands of, of, of healthcare and, and all the technology. With Delaware Valley Community Health basically being an FQHC and seeing a lot of uninsured patients, were you able to pivot to telehealth and virtual visits during the COVID pandemic, which is now, you know, we're into, into two years. Were you able to do that with your patient population? 
Yeah, I, you know, interestingly enough, I think that there's probably a lot of misperceptions about FQHCs or federally qualified health centers. And, and we are one of the, the largest uh, in, in the Philadelphia area. We're actually one of the largest in the state. And our infrastructure, as I mentioned earlier, is, is very strong. So we had already been working on our telehealth model and we basically pivoted in a weekend. So um, over the weekend, that weekend where everything kind of shut down, uh, we were on the phone with our major payers um, and uh, got a handshake deal to be reimbursed uh, for for a telehealth model. And we opened up on Monday. We had the ability to, to get all of our providers uh, using electronic uh, devices that they had or we distributed. Um, and we were able to pivot over the weekend for telehealth. We never closed our sites. Uh, we continued to operate for those patients that truly had to come in for inpatient services. But uh, most of our care became uh, became it was delivered through telehealth. How did your osteopathic education pre prepare you for this leadership position, and how can future PCM graduates prepare to meet the needs of underserved populations? Yeah, great question. A question the students ask me all the time. They they kind of go, I, I really like what you're doing. How how do I you know be able to with with my osteopathic education? How do I get into these kind of leadership roles? And, First, I usually answer by be careful what you ask for, which I'm sure Jay, you could uh, <laughs> you could relate to. Um, but uh, but after that, I, I I do talk about first the osteopathic education, and then some of the the, the postgraduate um, education you may need as well, like an MPH or or uh, an MBA. In terms of the osteopathic education, I mean, if you know anything about FQHCs or federal qualified health centers, you know we're located in every state. We are in territories like Guam and, and Puerto Rico. And, and so, you know, we're very, very large safety net of healthcare in this country. Typically, we are in more poorly served, either rural or urban areas. Well, that's kind of how osteopathic medicine got its roots in, in taking care of marginalized communities, taking care of those uh, communities that were, were not usually being serviced by uh, the allopathic model at that time. So I, I think just understanding our roots, but then you add uh, the additional modality of a, of a patient, I mentioned patient-centric, but we've always been patient-centric. So what we've been able to do with our education lines very nicely uh, with what FQHCs do, FQHCs do, which is continuing to provide care for, again, marginalized communities. Our communities, they don't necessarily know whether you have an MD or a DO or a PA or an NP. They really judge you by how much you care, how much you talk to them, how much you interrelate with them, how much you really understand them. And I think our osteopathic roots and education uh, really allow for us to be that more approachable doctor. So um, for my organization, when I first started here, I was the only DO. I was I was the chief medical officer. And over the time, I we probably had anywhere from a third of our staff to maybe half of our staff. So I'm sure you've got a couple questions for me today. <laughs> well, you know, I, first of all, I want to applaud you on all the things that you've done. Uh, it, it's been remarkable. I think you've done a great job. And I think you've also done the same thing that I've tried to do for my organization by continuing to, to be innovative, to try to continue to position PCOM in a, in a, in a, for, for longevity. I want to con congratulate you on your recent award around, you know, your, your diversity and, and inclusion, which is where my questions go, uh, because I know that you've already made great strides in that. But uh, it is still important for, for me and particularly a lot of other graduates of color uh, to make sure that not only is there more diversity uh, within both the student uh, population as well as faculty. But I, I don't want to leave out those other two letters either. 
So having some level of equity and, and almost more importantly these days, having some level of inclusion. So I would want to talk a little more about um, what's happening on the PCUM campuses. I, as a board member, of course, know, but I think the listeners, particularly those listeners who are graduates of color, may not be as tapped into what you've been able to do at PCUM as they should be. Well, we've done a tremendous, and thank you for that. We've done a tremendous amount of work through our Office of Diversity under the direction of you know, Dr. Marcin Pickron Davis, really trying to integrate diversity, equity, inclusion into the curriculum and into our entire PCOM community. And initiatives from an education standpoint throughout the four years and even into residency as well, offering certain courses, you know, making sure people have a handle on cultural competency, people understanding our holistic philosophy and what determines the health of an individual determines the health of a community and vice versa. Really trying to address healthcare equity and healthcare disparities, which you know tend to be in underserved inner city urban communities as well as rural communities. And really emphasizing that as part of our mission and recruiting diverse student populations, whether it be the DO program, the PA program, the PT program, the pharmacy program, behavioral health, all of them, as well as recruiting underrepresented minority and diverse faculty and staff, because that is the world we live in today. And we need to reflect our patients. So our patients are comfortable with us. In the third and fourth years, well, let me go back. First and second year, there's tons of volunteer opportunities for all of our students to get involved in communities and community service. In the, in the third and fourth years, again, more extra coursework online, asynchronous coursework for people from an equity, inclusion, diversity standpoint, bringing in speakers and just making people aware of the environment that we live in today. And in the fourth year, we have a required community health rotation, whether it's our primary health care centers here in Philadelphia or rural centers across Pennsylvania and Georgia. You know, I think, you know, I'm really proud of our health care centers. We just underwent an amazing renovation of our City Avenue health care center. We tripled in size. We went from six exam rooms to 16 so we can better serve the community so we can integrate behavioral health to on-demand as part of our primary care visits. We'd like to be able to get paid for them one day, as I'm sure you can understand, but we're providing that service to the community needs. And also just really putting an emphasis on a community presence. You know, we used to have a golf tournament as a fundraiser for our primary healthcare centers, which was very successful, but it's more important for us to have an ongoing presence in the community. And one of our challenges is how do we build that healthcare center delivery system in Georgia? Currently, we don't have our own healthcare centers. So that's a top priority. And how do we continue to expand and add our service lines in Philadelphia? Yeah. Because it's a more enriching experience for our students and it betters the health of the communities we're trying to serve. So uh, that's a really long-winded answer to your question, but that's where we are. And it's yeah. been great that the board's been supportive of that in terms of financing these from capital expenditures 
as well as scholarship dollars for minority students. Well, I, can, I can tell you again that I, I get to see it firsthand as, as a, I haven't been on campus as much in the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but as I continue to interact with the students and just see the changes that have occurred, it, it's remarkable, particularly from the time, and you mentioned I'm an 88 grad, so I mean, it's so much different from the time that, that I and, and other uh, positions of color that maybe came before or after me was a completely different um, environment. So I really applaud that. You, you mentioned you trying to continue to work with uh, the communities that you're serving, whether it be in the Philadelphia area or in Georgia, and that community presence. And again, I think it lends itself back to what FQHCs or federally qualified health centers do. So you know, whether you try to create that structure in PCOM or continue to partner with existing FQHCs, I, I think that FQHCs have provided this care and given this kind of culturally appropriate care for, for over 50 years, not just my organization. Um, FQHC started in, in the late 60s um, under the Johnson era on uh, the war on poverty. You know, so President Johnson kind of started the funding for this. And uh, it, it aligns itself so perfectly with osteopathic medicine, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, I think most people, they don't really fully understand FQHCs, but this pandemic has brought us out of kind of the, the background where we have been the leaders. Uh, my organization led with testing, immunizations, test kits now. We were the first in the Philadelphia area to get, you know, 200,000 masks from the federal government. We are the, the organizations that the federal government continue to support to make sure that these marginalized communities are not thought of last in terms of, of the needs of a pandemic or, or any other disease entity. We want to continue to make sure your, your listeners get a chance to understand that FQHCs are not just an organization where, yes, we take care of more uninsured or Medicaid patients, uh, you know, organizations like mine who have a large share of commercial patients as well, and that we are not just a, a primary care uh, center for just certain people, we're a primary care center for all people. And we do take care of a large cross-section. We have 47,000 patients, and, uh, you know, only maybe 20% of them are uninsured. You know, you and I have had conversations ongoing where we both think that FQHCs are an untapped source of graduate medical education. As more and more care is delivered in the outpatient setting and now moving to home and moving to virtual, less and less is being done in the hospitals, but yet GME for the large part is totally hospital-based and focused. And primary care is an outpatient entity today. And I think we got to continue to work to bring FQHCs into the GME world so that it becomes a track basically for primary care, whether it be family practice, pediatrics, or internal medicine. And you know, I think whatever we can do together and whatever we can do at the national level to drive that will benefit our profession, the allopathic profession as well, and just our communities in general. Completely agree. You know, as, as you know, for, for 25 years, I, I ran an osteopathic internship and, and family medicine residency. And um, you know, and, and understood very well GME from um, the the CMS, the, you know, side of, of funding, the the HRSA funding that's been out there that is um, been available to have GME run through uh, federally qualified health centers FQHCs. Uh, it's been around for probably about ten plus years, but um, I was one of the people that was probably a little more slow because I wanted to to, to jump on it to try to test it out because I wanted to make sure that HRSA funding was going to be sustainable. It looks like it will be. 
So as you know, uh, my organization has just won a planning grant, and uh, we hope to uh, start a, a family medicine residency within the next uh, one to two years. And, and that is where I think a, a lot of primary care needs to be trained. And for us, you know, DVCH, again, with the size of our organization, not only do we have pediatrics, adult medicine, geriatrics, adult medicine is done by family medicine and, and internists. We also have full service obstetrics. We deliver probably about, my, my obstetricians deliver probably about a third of all Temple's babies. We do have that integrated behavioral health model. So we do have um, behavioral health consultants that works alongside PCPs and we do get reimbursed for it. <laughs> we have full family dentistry at three of our locations. Uh, we have podiatry, we have optometry. Again, so there, there are other, uh, we do HIV care, we do uh, medical assisted treatment, MAT, in one of our sites. Uh, we have three satellite sites that are actually co-located with behavioral health organizations. So we're providing primary care to these organizations that um, do mostly behavioral health services because those patients typically are not accepted and, and, and have access to primary care services. So I say all that not only to talk about the different levels of services that my organization provides, but I also talk about, look at that as a, such an enriching training environment for, for a family medicine resident in particular. Um, what they would be exposed to just within this organization, rather than having to go to different hospitals and rotations uh, to get some of those uh, subspecialties um, and, and ancillary type of uh, complementary type of services training. Well, Scott, I really want to thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate your insight into a topic that many of our medical and mental health students will experience in their careers. To listen to past episodes of this podcast and become a subscriber, Visit our SoundCloud page or find us on iTunes by searching Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm Jay Feldstein, and this has been PCOM Perspectives. <laughs>